Well, well, I am so excited. This is part three of a series called Staying in Love. I love marriage series. Um, I, I love it because it challenges me. Normally every year I do a marriage series and it's because marriage drifts, doesn't it? Like life changes, seasons change, your circumstances change, and you need to go back and be refreshed. You need to be challenged. You need to be reminded to get back to that place. And so that way you don't drift so far. And the worst case scenario is you drift so far. And couples do this to me even when they come see me. It's like, They'll come in with their issues and their problems and why they're fighting or not getting along. And I'm like, so, so tell me, when did this begin? Well, it was about five years ago. I'm like, okay, we need to start addressing things, you know, sooner then. And so we do a marriage series every year so that life doesn't drift so far that we get one of those about 20 years ago. You know, we don't want that to happen. And so um, Staying in Love is our series on marriage. And so if you've been here over these last couple of weeks, in week one, we took a, a look at what Jesus said, and what he said was so simple. I mean, it's something that we kind of look at, and we would, we would read over without even stopping. We would read it, never really consider what it meant. We would just assume that we knew what it meant because it was so simple. And what he said was this. He goes, I'm going to give you kind of a new commandment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love one another. And we're just like, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah Jesus love. He's a love guy. Birkenstocks, robe, holding children, loving people. That's Jesus. Jesus love. What does that mean, though? And what we noticed was that Jesus did something actually very dynamic there because what he did was is he altered the definition of love to where love was not a noun, love was a what? Love is a verb. Yeah, yeah. so, so what, what culture teaches us is that love is a noun. That's why we fall into it, we fall out of it. Sometimes we got that love and feeling, that thing. Sometimes we don't, and when we don't, sometimes we fight or we move on or we divorce or we just call it quits, we, we, we do whatever. Jesus said, that's not how life is meant to be lived. That actually love is a verb. And if you will verb somebody rather than try to noun somebody, you will stay in love. Because as long as love is, is a noun, you, you, the ebb and the flow and the feeling will come and go. And sometimes you'll love them and sometimes you won't because it'll be a noun. But he said, no, 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 when you love them as a verb, you can always love somebody. Can I get an amen? And the more you make love a verb, the more you'll make love. But also the more you make love a verb, the more you will make love last a lifetime. It's just what Jesus said. And then in part two, we looked at how, how do you actually put some teeth and traction on that? Because then Jesus, in, 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 he says some more dynamic things. The apostle Paul says some more dynamic things. And what he comes up with this is like, okay, let me get real practical. This is how you do that. When you look at your spouse, this is what you need to realize. They are more important than you. And if you have two people that think the other one is more important than that one, that's blissful, crazy awesomeness right there. That's powerful love, that you're elevating them and elevating their deal above your deal. That's what awesome love is right there. Today we will kind of take a move forward because there's some problems and traps and tendencies that we fall into. And I was going to talk to you about the emotional aspect of it, and I realized that's too big. So I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to actually save that, and, and we'll spend a few weeks talking about just, just that down the road, not just in our marriage, but every arena of life. But, but today I want to talk to you about your mind and how you actually should renew your mind towards your spouse. I'm going to tell you about something that we all do, a decision that we are faced to make almost daily. And here at the end of the day, I'm going to give you the ending before I give you the beginning. How many believe love can be blind? Here's what I'm going to tell you. That's not always a bad thing. Maybe love should be blind to a certain degree, and that would actually be better for us. Let's pray as we begin today. Father, we pray that, God, that you would speak to us, that, God, your, your words would become true in our life, that we would walk out of them, and we would, 
God, haul them over in our mind and, and drag them through our heart and emotions and apply them to our life. And God, dig up the issues. And God, instead of the issues, put your truth there and try to work that out, God. God, I believe marriage is something you came up with. It's a beautiful idea. It's a divine idea. And when it works well, God, it's amazing. And so, God, that's what we all want. We want that for ourselves, Lord God. We pray that you would help us. It is in your holy name that we pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. Stay in love. That's what we all are trying to do, right? Well, if you're married. But if you're not married, your hope is, because this is where we're all at. I, this is just where I know people. Even if, because there's some people out there that you're skeptical about marriage at this point in life. Divorce, bad experiences, your parents, everything that you've seen. You're a skeptic now. You, you know, you, you've, you've gone so far into the red. You're man-hater, woman-hater. I mean, you can go that far. Really be harsh. Really be skeptical. On the far end of the other spectacle, you have like the over-the-top romantic that believes you will see love at first sight maybe this afternoon. I mean, that's your, that's your hope and desire. But in the middle, in the middle, we, we have most of us, I think. And most of us fall into the category of we still believe. We still believe that it's possible for two people to fall in love and to grow in love and to stay in love a lifetime. We're talking, we're talking about two people, like old people holding hands, playing shuffleboard together and still growing in love. That's what we all want. And that is all I think in our heart that God placed there. When you go back to the book of Genesis, when Genesis is, is talking about Adam, it says that Adam had literally everything on planet earth at his whole disposal. It was right there for the taking. But yet God looked at Adam and said, something right about you. There's something missing in you. And you know what? I, I, I'm going to make you a woman. And so what he realizes is, is that there, there, for, for the vast, vast, vast majority of all people, that there's a hole in our heart that God put there, not for him to fill, but for another person to fill. Do you see that? He had a relationship with God, and he had all the stuff on earth that he wanted. What did he not have? Some type of God-shaped hole that he had placed there for another person to fill. And so we all have that in us. We all have that little bit of it. Because let's just be honest. We, guys, we like our dude friends. And we like to go do some dude stuff. But at the end of the night, you, you, you still want something more than that. You still, like girls, you want to go out and have girl night. And you want to go out and do this and do that. Like there's something in you that wants something more. And it's that unique relationship between a husband and a wife. That somehow fulfill and complete one another on some level. And so, so we, we have the idea that God has created us. For loving relationships. Can I get an amen and just a head nod? Is that, we, we all agree? That? Like, we, we all want that. God designed us for that. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and many of you already know what that is. We're going to take a look at what the Apostle Paul said about, everybody say love. Yeah, say it like, like, a, like a, you know, like a, like an R&B singer. You know what I mean? Like love. And then lick your lips. Love. And that's the way they would do it. Now, now, if you know 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know that that is called the what? Anybody know what that's called? That's the love chapter. That's what it's referred to. Like if you had a wedding and, and, and Aunt Sally needed to read something and she didn't know what to read, that's what she read. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because when we think about love, and, and 1 Corinthians 13 does a great job of talking about love and defining love and explaining love and kind of putting some meat around the idea of love. And it's really, really good. And most of the stuff, when we read this in just a second, we're going to say, yep, that's so true. Yep, I believe that. I, yeah, I need to work on that. That's, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. But there's a part at the end that I think our brain part of our life struggles with. And you're going to make sense of this. There's a part of it that's going to seem naive. Like, you're, you're like, like okay, y'all are like teenage love right here. 
Y'all stupid, don't know no better. That's what that is. That is naive. That, that's confusing. I don't even know that I believe that or not. That's the part that we're going to get on today. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bible, start with verse number 4. The Bible says, love is patient. How many of you would agree with that? Love is patient. Yeah. There, this isn't a trick thing. I'm not going to like flip this on you. It's hard to rework this. You know what I mean? Like love is patient. How many of you would agree with that? We, like, we are better for our spouse when we are patient. How many know like love is kind? And not just kind, but like acts of kindness. Not, not only that, it does not envy. It, it does not boast. Like you shouldn't be trying to one-up and win and beat your spouse all the time. Like, you know, like let her win at whatever. And, and let him win if he stinks at that. And so anyway, it's not proud. It doesn't always have to be right just for the sake of I need to let you know. Like, so, so let's keep going. It doesn't dishonor. We would all agree with that, right? Can I get some smiling and head nodding and just... We, we're just going somewhere. Just stay with me for now. So, so it wouldn't dishonor. You know, if you're going to dishonor another person and expect to have love, long-lasting, that, 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 that ain't going to work. It's not self-seeking. We would all agree with that. We talked about that last week, that in essence, like great marriages where uh, they are more valuable and more important than you are. So the, the, yourself is not at the center point, but they become the center point. It's not easily angered. Some of y'all need to pay, take a moment right there. How many out there know, I, yeah, just go ahead and let's have confession here. We ain't Catholic, we can confess anyway. Got some anger issues up in here. And we, we're a lot better off if we would take the not easily anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, real quick, real quick. How many of y'all are great at not keeping a record? You want to? Hey, I'm great at this. Like, yeah, like my wife, my wife just, Amy, I'll tell you why. This is not because of choice though. This is because of like, I have a terrible memory. I have the memory of a goldfish. I, I, I circle the bowl and everything's new again. So uh, I do. I don't remember nothing. My wife will bring up stuff from like, remember? And this would be like six, seven. You'd remember this was going on. We were not getting along. And I'm like, really? I always loved you, baby. Like, I don't know any better. So how many have a spouse that's a little bit like that? Just we're slow. Yeah. So, but you love that about us. You do. You appreciate that. How many of you, the, how many of you like, how many, because this is what some people do. Some people like, hmm, you log it away in a special place in your mind or a notebook, either one. And, and you're like, this is going to come back. How many of you get into an argument? This is the argument me and my wife had this morning. We are getting dressed. And um, so, so like she's fixing my shirt for me. And she's like, babe, I am running late. You know, which I'm like, you're here on time. You look like a cowgirl. You're beautiful. I don't know why you thought you were late. But anyway, um, but she's like, I, you know what? She goes, I need one morning. Why well, don't I have to get everybody ready? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she goes, I'm always doing stuff for you. I'm like, girl, you are never doing stuff for me on Sunday morning. Like, what are you talking about? She goes, well, I iron your shirts. I'm like, once in three years. So I'm like, this is like the argument. It's not a real argument. So it's a playful argument. But like, I'm like, what are you talking about? So some of y'all like dream up. Got your own little world. It's just, and see, here's the problem that I run into. She knows that I don't really remember. She can say anything she wants. <laughs> it is a terrible position to be for me. I will always lose. Because anytime she says, remember six years ago? I'm like... <laughs> she knows. She knows. So she just... Okay, let's keep going. So, love does not delight in evil. I mean, no, that is... You know, don't be evil towards your spouse. <laughs> don't be like, mm, I'm going to get her. Don't be weird. Uh, but it rejoices with the truth. Here's the part that I think we all 
No, no, you can keep going. Seven. This is the part we're going to land on today. This is the part that may come off as a bit naive. A bit, are you really? It, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always, everybody say always. Another way that you look at this, if you look at the Greek word, there's a Greek word that Paul repeats and then he just changes the word that goes with it. If you were reading like a New King James or ESV or something like this, it would say it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So there, there's a couple of ways that you could interpret this. And so, but, but it, it, it kind of leads to the notion that like, you, you trust always? But like, do you know what he did? It hopes always? Like, I do, I'm just supposed to hope? Like, like do, do you know what her track record is? Always? All things? All the time? Really? And this is the thing that Paul kind of... Now, we are all were on board with the patient and don't get angry and be kind. And we would all agree with that. But we would say, th- this almost sounds like a codependent relationship, right? Like people that are awful for each other but are just delusional towards each other still. You know what I mean? Now, now don't get me wrong. This has limitations to it. And we'll talk about that. Let, 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 me, let me move on because here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you about a couple different things and then we're going to come back and reread this. And, and then hopefully it'll make more sense. Okay, so here's what your life is like inside of a married relationship. And how many of you married real quick? Raise your hand. How many want to be married one day? Look around, look around. You never know. Um, I mean, I'm just saying if there's two people that want to be married, I mean, that, wouldn't that be obvious to put the two people that want to be married together? And so, okay, so, so for those of you who want to be married, you need to like prepare for the future and take good notes. For those of you who are married, just hang with me for right now because this is what your life is like. This is what my life is like, right? Okay, so, so we know that basically there is life and there is an expectation that you have for your spouse. And it could be simple things like, you know, she's supposed to pick up my dry cleaning or he's supposed to pay the bills or she should have dinner ready when I get home or he should mow the lawn or he sh- We have all these expectations, right? Yeah. I, I, am I the only one that does it? Okay. Yes, you do. Stay with me. Everybody say expectations. And then over here, there's like what you actually get. You know, did I get my dry cleaning or the lawn or, the, or, the, or, or, or just the way that... How I many you know that sometimes expectations are built on promises? Things they promised they would do or promised they would stop doing. These are the expectations. There's a hundred things we could throw over here. And then there's what you actually get, right? So, so what you end up with is you end up with expectations and then you have behavior. In the middle, there's a gap, right? There's a, there's a gap. And, and life is always going to have a gap. And I'll tell you why. Because you live with a human being. You live with a person who's, you know... Broken, sin, there's issues there, there's some funkiness. Do you know what her mother is like? Do you know how they were raised? Do you know, I mean, there's like, there's a gap here because we are all flawed human beings. Can I get an amen? We're all just, we're, okay. So here's the, here's the dilemma that you're faced with on almost a daily basis, at least weekly, monthly basis. There, there is a, there's a question as to what you will put in the gap, okay? There's two things that you can put in the gap, and here you go. You can either A believe the best or you can assume the worst. This is the gap that we're talking about here. Every day you'll be faced or every time there's an expectation, every time there's a promise, every time there's a, I never will, I will, I will pick up those kids and then all of a sudden you get the phone call and be like, hey, I can't get the kids because of whatever. Oh my gosh, again. 
And, and so we're all challenged with these things. You know, you promised you were going to take me out tonight. You promised that you were going to do this. You promised you would stop doing that. And you get these expectations built up in your mind, and then you, you tend to get something different. Not all the time. Depends on the relationship. Could be a lot. Could be a little. Could be big things. Could be small things. But here's, here's the dilemma that we're all faced with. You can either believe the best or you can assume the worst. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's say he said, uh, babe, I promise I'm going to stop working late. I know you want me home and dinner with the family. Da, 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 da. And so I'm going to be home at 5.30. All of a sudden, 5.30 rolls around. You got two options. You can believe the best or you can assume the worst. Believe the best would be like, hey, you know what? I know, uh, I know work's been crazy. I know, you know, th things have been changing at the office and things are hard. And, you know, I, I, I just get that. And so, you know what? I'm sure he's on his way. I'm sure he did his best. I'm sure he'll be here as soon as he could. That's believe the best. Assume the worst. Here we go again. This is what he always does. This is the issue. This is the problem. He's a this. He's a that. He's a that. And we just automatically assume the worst. Guys, same thing. Like, all of a sudden, you know, you want your wife to be ready at a certain time or to be somewhere at a certain time and they're, they're, they're late because they always run late and it always takes them twice as long to get ready in the morning or what, whatever it is. And you know what goes to your mind? You can either what? You can either believe the best. Well, you know what? I know, I know, her, you know, I know her mom's been in the hospital lately and I know, you know what? I, mean, I know that, you know, things with the kids have been difficult and I'm sure, I'm sure she will be here as soon as she absolutely can. But assume the worst. You know what? She is always late. She's always late. She can never be on time. I bet she got on the phone with her sister. Her, her sister, they get on the phone and they can't shut up and they just want to go on and on and on and then she loses track of time. She's so unaware of time. She has no idea what time it is and she's always late. Okay, so here's, here's the question. Here's the challenge. What is it that naturally flows into your mind and then eventually out of your mouth when there's a gap? How many of you for whatever reason, how many of you out there you say, I, I, I just, I'm an optimistic person. I'm just easygoing and it's easy for me. And I just always, I do. I just always, I uh, just believe the best. I don't have a problem with that. I'd say that's probably not, probably not most of us. I'd say most of us are probably a little bit down here. And here's, here's where, here's probably where you're drawing this from. Does that make sense? You're probably drawing it from two places. Number one is the obvious, what you actually see what you actually get, what reality actually hit your life. But you also got to remember that part of why you assume the worst is because of you. Like, you have your own issues. You've got your own past, don't you? You've got your own experiences, your own history. You've got your own dilemma, your own thing whether it was a past relationship or the way you were raised or what you're, like, like dad left you on the street corner and he promised he would pick you up at a certain time and when he just never showed up and he was never there and he was always late and sometimes I waited all day long and he never showed up. That's digging down in the depths of your soul and it will cause you to react a certain way. You're, you're a guy and all of a sudden, you, you know, you, you, you know, like your past relationship, she cheated on you and that went bad and that went south and so now I'm an insecure person and so don't, don't get it twisted. There's some reality but there is some of you coming out of you. There is some of your own stuff, your own junk, your own mess, your own things that will cause you to react a certain way. But here's the question. What fills in the gap for you? What is it that naturally comes to your mind and then eventually comes out of your mouth when there's a gap between what you expected and what you actually got. Because here's the, here's the core truth that we're going to talk about today. People who stay in love believe the best. People who stay in love, their mind 
defaults. Now, here's the deal. I don't know how this happens. I believe there are two ways. Number one way, you were born like this and you just got lucky. Your personality, your upbringing, the combination of all the things that you didn't come up with anyway, you were blessed, you were favored, they were given to you. Does that make sense? But the other way, which is probably the way that most of us will get there, it will be conscious, intentional, practice, and thought. Like it will be something, and here's the curve of all learning, isn't it? Like the curve of all learning is typically when, when, when something new is introduced to us that is obvious that we need to get better at or do well at. We, we stink at it out the gate, Right? And typically what we do is we will get ourselves into an argument. We will get ourselves disappointed. We will get ourselves angry. We'll get ourselves all huffy. And then all of a sudden, after you've done blown your lid, been a jerk, acted mean, dishonored, disrespected, whatever it is, you'll be like, oh, 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 crap. That's what he was talking about. I'm, I blew it. I missed it. Dang it. That's what I do. But then, but then as you make it what? Conscious? intentional thought and practice. You know what you move? Eventually you move a little bit closer to the spectrum and you will catch yourself like while you're being a jerk. In the middle of being nasty. In the middle of being harsh. In the middle of that argument. You're like, oh, junk. I did it again. And then you try to figure out how to back your way up out of it. Or, or you just say, I don't even care right now. And you just go full bore ahead because you're so angry. But again, it's going to take conscious, intentional, thought, and habit, and practice. And eventually, as you renew your mind, because doesn't the Bible talk about renewing your mind? What I'm telling you is this, is that you will be forced into renewing your mind about your spouse. The same thing that we would do when we took an issue, maybe the Bible talks about fear, and the way fear grips us and captures our heart, and, and limits our possibilities and our opportunities, and limits who we are in life, and the pastor would get up and teach you about how fear works, and how faith overcomes, and how love overcomes, and how like we need to remove, renew our minds so that we think differently, see differently, and therefore respond differently about fear that grips our heart. Can I get an amen? What I'm telling you is, is you need to renew your mind about your spouse because couples that stay in love they renew their mind to believe the best there's a um there's an interesting book that i read a long time ago um it's not a marriage book it, it's a leadership book it's an author by the name of marcus buckingham and he wrote a book called the one thing you need to know it's actually a great book if you're a leader or manager or anything it's a fantastic book i read it years ago and and in essence what he does is he gets into the one thing everybody say the one thing and what he says is he, he believes that at the core of, of excellence and the core of greatness, you'll find a common denominator somewhere down at the bottom that if you can find that thing and build off of it, if you find the one thing and build off of it, you can have great success. And he has three different sections. He has one on being a great leader, one on being a great manager, or three, just kind of having a long-lasting, successful life. And so when it comes to... You may give you the book? I'm going to give you the book. You don't have to buy it now. Actually, you should buy it. It's a really good book. So like he talks about to be a great manager, what great managers do at the core denominator of all that they do is they find what is unique and they discover what is unique and different about every employee and then they, they capitalize on it. They bring the best out of people. Leaders, he goes, leaders are a little bit different. It's a different requirement and a different skill set. He goes, leaders don't find what's unique. They discover what is universal about everybody and then they capitalize on it. Like what is it that we all believe that we can all champion behind? We can all rally around and let's go for it and they rally people to what is universal about all of us. And then he talks about uh, sustaining long-lasting success in life is this, and it's kind of funny. He says, find out what you 
hate to do and stop doing it. Like, just, just what, what is it that I hate to do? I totally just can't stand it. Stop doing it. You'll be happier in your job, in your career, in your life. Like, if you hate doing it, you're never going to be continuously lasting happy about your successful job. So, I said all that to get to this point. He has a section in there on marriage. And what he finds about marriage is so fascinating. And when I read the book years ago, I kind of just glossed over it. But now reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and putting the two together, something began to make sense. I'm going to tell you what they found. This is a, um, I don't want to say an ungodly, it's not ungodly. It is not a Christian study. It is a purely statistical, scientific, and psychological study where multiple professors from multiple universities did these research studies on couples. Now, check this out. The old way that you would study a couple is, is, and this is just kind of the theory they had, is you would study bad couples, unhappy couples, couples that are awful. And you would find out what did they do to become so unhappy, and then they would say, well, don't do that. I mean, that does make some level of preventative sense, right? That's preventative. Like, well, if I don't want to go that way, I just definitely avoid doing those things. And, and, the, and the conventional wisdom was this. If we would just do the opposite then of whatever the awful couples are doing, we'll probably be pretty good. But they realized that was flawed logic because sometimes the, the, the difference between great couples and, and awful couples is not opposites. It's just different. Does that make sense? So what they started to do was they started to say, let's flip our research. Let's just study purely incredibly happy couples and find out what they do so well. And what they found out, it wasn't the opposite, it was just different. And what they did was is they had these couples. Literally, they gave them a list of attributes. And they said, we want you to go down. We want you to list how you think you are on all these attributes. Then we want you to go and list how well your spouse is on all these attributes. And they have both of the couples do it. Now, with the unhappy, miserable couples that were on the verge of divorce, they found that the couples didn't know anything about each other. They were so off and so wrong and didn't... So the opposite conclusion would be what? Then you need to have a, a really, really clear-cut expectation. You need to know everything about your, your spouse. You need to have clear... Like, like, if they just think at this, you just need to embrace. They think at this and just prepare for the worst, right? That would be the opposite. That would be knowing everything you can and just accepting it. That's not what happy couples do. What they found with the study with happy couples is this, is that at the, at the highest levels of happiness in the couples, the couples always rated the spouse higher than the spouse rated themselves. On every attribute. In every attribute, you had a humble person who probably didn't assume that they were great, but they had a spouse that thought they were amazing. And on the other end of the spectrum, they had a, they had a, a humble perspective about life that said, I, you know, I'm okay at these things, I'm probably not that great at it, but their, their spouse thought they were amazing. And in every category, the spouse would rate the person higher than they rated themselves. So let me read you what, what they actually wrote. It says this, a spouse's positive illusion, I love that. A spouse's positive illusion created an upward spiral of love. The illusion gave conviction, being something you truly believe, the conviction led to security, meaning what you believe made you feel incredibly safe and secure. And that security fostered intimacy, and the intimacy just reinforces it. So you end up with a, an upward spiral versus a negative downward spiral. Let's keep reading. So these positive illusions weave their strength into the fabric of the relationships until they actually become the relationship. They make themselves come true. Now what does that sound like? That sounds like the idea that we 
believe all things. We hope all things. We stay in it. We stay there. As a matter of fact, this is, what, this is, this is how they, they ended up kind of boiling it all down to one practical application. This is it. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and then believe it. So when there's a gap between what you expected and what you actually got, what they're telling you is, is you need to fill the gap with whatever is the most generous explanation. Like what, this is the idea that we judge favorably. Whatever the situation is, we give them the benefit of the doubt. We hope the best, we believe the best, we, we, we definitely hang in there, and we just are going to go with the most generous explanation. And this is what spouses do. Spouses actually take their partner's weaknesses, the happy couples, and, and somehow just kind of like turn it and spin it into a strength. It, it would sound something like this. Oh, she's not impatient. She's just intense. Oh, he, he, he's, he's not insensitive. Like your girlfriend, like, he's so insensitive. No, he's, he's not insensitive. He, he's, just, he's focused. She's not, she's not domineering. Like your buddy's like, dude, she's domineering. She's wearing the pants. No, she's not domineering. She just, she's assertive. Like your husband is so loud now. No, he's not. No, he's just bold. He's bold. What we've done is, is we have hoped all things. We believed all things. We hung in there. We decided that in the gap, we would find the most generous explanation possible. When they didn't come through on their end, we give them the benefit of the doubt. We judge them favorably. We assume the best rather than assuming the worst. How many know this is going to be easy? <laughs> so like I said, the Bible says it, it, it bears all things, it trusts all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it always perseveres. Are you seeing now what I'm saying? Where do you go? Where does your mind naturally go when you think about the gap? When they didn't deliver, when they didn't come through, when they didn't show up, when they didn't meet your expectations, where do you go? And this is true of every relationship you have, but especially when it comes to your spouse. Where does your mind go and then your mouth follow because he, here's the thing some of us like it when our spouse fails some of us appreciate when our spouse fails you know why because now we have leverage now i got a little more ammunition now i have something to hang over their head now i can guilt them and manipulate them and so, so we actually kind of like it because then we can say see 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 i told you Here's the problem with that. You have now, by embracing that thing, creating the negative spin, focusing and assuming on the worst, you have been come, you've become basically a part of the process. You've become a contributor to your relationship's demise. You have taken that thing which could have been neutral or could have been spun in an upward spiral and you have forced it into a negative spiral. It will never help you to, to basically put your spouse in that position to where you have leverage because you will create a bigger, bigger gap in both of your hearts. You will. He will become worse in your eyes and you will never want to be around that person again. Let's be honest. Aren't we all drawn to atmospheres of acceptance? Don't we want, everybody wants to go where everybody knows their name, right? You want to go where people like you. People, here's how you know this. Do, do you dread it when you hear the phone call and you think it's them? And you look at their name, you're like, oh, crap. I have to hear this again now. 
What, hey, do you, do you, do you, does something on the inside of you tense up when you hear the garage door going up and you know they're home? What that is, is it's telling you that you are in a downward spiral where what we have done is, is we have taken whatever the gap is and we have made it worse than it really is. We have focused on the negative. We have assumed the worst and then we have opened up our mouth to confirm it. And we have now become a contributor to the demise of the relationship. We are partners in crime now. And what we need to do is reverse it. We actually need to choose to believe the best and then communicate that to them. Now, here's, here's what you're going to say. You need to believe the best and then communicate to that to them. And now, now the kickback I'm going to give is, but do you know? Look, Todd, you're up here with your cute little sermon, and I know you have a pastor's wife that probably plays the organ and sings, and, 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 and she's probably amazing, and you don't know. You don't even know what they've done. You don't know the track record. You don't know the history. You don't, I, I know. I don't. But I mean, if, listen to me. I, I've been doing this long enough. I got war stories. I probably got somebody that's worse off than you. I mean, like, we could all get up here and sell, tell our, our really, really awful stories. And I know there's some awful ones out here. Now, again, this, this does have limitations. Like, if there's abuse, if someone is being physically abusive, there, this is not the time where we're like, well, he, you know, he just, he just gets really aggressive and playful. No, 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 no. He's abusive and you need to get out of the house, okay? You're tripping. But like, no, 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 he, 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 he's not abusive. He, he, he likes boxing. He's a sport. You know, no, 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 no. That's abuse. Call the cops. Get out. Okay? In the realm of abuse, this is not the time to make the exception. But most of us are not in that place. Most of us have a spouse that we would say for the most part, we would say the intent of their heart is they do love us. Now, they're dysfunctional. But they love us. Right? They're not perfect, but they love us. They make mistakes, but they love us. That's where we're at right now because most of us in this room, most of us would fall into that category. So where do you go? How are you doing with that? Where does your mind go when there's a gap? When they, when they didn't deliver, when they failed, when they didn't meet up, when they didn't hold true to their promise, where do you go? Do you assume the worst or do you believe for the best? Because that will be the difference in the long-lasting nature of your relationship. That is the difference between a downward spiral and an upward spiral. Because remember, what we do is we choose to be happy couples, couples that stay in love a lifetime. They choose through practice and habit. They choose to believe the best. And then, this is the brilliant part, you've got to communicate it. That's what creates the upward spiral. So the next time that, that he calls and he promised he'd be home at a certain time and he calls and says he's running late, your natural instinct is going to be to give him the business. Okay, stop. Okay. Don't worry, just get home safely as quick as you can. I love you, I'll see you soon. Do, do that and watch what happens. Whoa, 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 what did you do with my wife? Who is this? Who is this? Who's on the other end of this phone call? What have you done with her? That's what you're going to get. Why? Because you're used to tripping all the time. Em, em, embrace. Does that make sense? Like he forgot to pay the bill. Like you are awful with money. You have always been awful with money. Your dad is awful with money. I don't even know why I put, give you the bills to pay. I don't, you, that's, that's, your, that's your usual. Hey, you know what? That's all right. We'll figure it out. We'll sit down. We'll do it together. We'll, we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. Like, because I've seen it. It's in my own life, couples that I counsel, my parents. I've seen it. There's a, there's a natural reaction that we typically have to our spouse's shortcomings and failures, and I want you to stop it. I want you to stop assuming the worst. Now, if, if you just want to, then you are choosing to live in a life where you will stay in a downward spiral, and you might stay together, but you will stay together probably unhappily. 
This is why, this is why there's a tendency for, for guys to become very, very critical and women to co- become very, very naggy because they think by being critical and being naggy that they will get the other person to change. How's that working for you? How's it working? What I'm telling you is this, is that there's a biblical principle in play and the biblical principle works like this. There is life and death in the power of the tongue. And those who love it and learn how to speak right words will eat of its fruit. Meaning you will live all, you will see things materialize by the words that you choose. But before you can be words that you choose, it has to be mind that you renew. Does that make sense? And when you learn to believe the best instead of assuming the worst, and then you begin to communicate it. Watch how that person responds. Because then they're not responding out of this this shame and guilt and bitterness and resentment. They respond to the fact that they have blessed me. I want to bless them in return. It's going to take time. It will not happen overnight. You will think, well, I could do this for 10 years and he still won't pick his underwear off the floor. If you stay with where you're going, you're going to create a downward spiral. I'm just telling you that that's the way that it's going to go. You're going to, if you stay in the negativity... You're going to create an environment where ultimately, when you, when you do this, this is the environment that you will set. You will create an environment where they feel like they never measure up. That you will have an environment where they feel like they, they can never be good enough. They will never meet your expectations. They will never have it all together. Let me help you. No, they won't and neither do you. So stop it. Because you're only going to make matters worse by dumping on the negative. Nobody can ever meet all your expectations. Nobody can, listen to me, there's some needs that only God can meet. And as long as you keep dumping them on your wife or dumping on your husband and creating negativity in the gap, you are not going to have. Now you might, like I said, you might stay together. But who, who wants that? Like, that's like C minus plan. Does that make sense? I want the A plus plan. I want to stay together, but I want to stay in love together. And the way that you do that is you guard your mind. When you think about your spouse, do you think immediately and think first and foremost of all of her bad traits? Do you, when, when the expectations are, are failed, do you automatically go to assuming the worst? Where does your mind go? What are the first thoughts that come into your mind? And then the words that eventually follow. Where do you go? This is the difference. This is how we renew our mind towards our spouse and then choose to speak life instead of death. Let me, let me, let me give you how Jesus put it simply. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge. Now, now again, I told you, whenever you read scriptures about how you treat other people, you need to learn to write in all caps the word spouse. Because not only do these scriptures apply to human relationships, how much more so than would it apply to your spouse who you have so much proximity with? So when, when Jesus says, do not judge, let's not misinterpret what Jesus said, because if I, if I broke it down in, in language and context and all that, what you would find is this. What he's saying is, do not judge critically. Like, do not judge harshly. That's what he's referring to. He's like, because ultimately he gets into like, this is how you judge. But for right now, he's saying, don't judge harshly and critically, or you too will be judged harshly and critically. How many of you want that? If there's a sign up after service, how many of you going to put your name on that one? No. How many of you want to be served, inc- I mean, judged incredibly graciously? How many of you want, you want to get to heaven, you've got God saying, you know what? That's not a big deal. It's, I'm not even going to bring that up. Well, what about... You know what? That was mostly your mom's fault. We're not even talking about that. That one, that was probably, that was just a misunderstanding. Don't even worry about that one. Let's just, how many of you want to be judged like that? You want to be judged according to your intentions, don't you? How many times have you done something dumb and be like, but in my heart, I didn't mean to? Uh, much of your life, right? And that's the way you want God to judge you, right? So if you want God to judge you favorably, what does he say to, for you to do? Judge others 
generously, graciously, favorably. Let's keep reading. Because for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Meaning to the, to the amount and portion and the degree in which you like dishing it out, you are basically saying, I can handle this same degree, amount, and portion back on me. And what we end up doing is, is we end up taking all the critical thoughts, the harsh thoughts, these are judgments. The thoughts that you have about another individual, these are the judgments that you make about them. When you are in the gap, where does your mind go? When you're in the gap, do you assume the worst or do you believe the best? This right here is the difference. And what God's saying to do is I want you to renew your mind so that when you think about them, I want you to take everything they do that you think is a little bit, I want you to find the positive. I want you to put a spin on it. I want you to hope the best. I want you to believe the best so that you can endure all things. Does that make sense? I want you to create an upward spiral of love where your relationship gets better and better. But as long as you keep focusing on the negative, as long as you keep judging critically and harshly, you will reap exactly what you sow. That's in essence what that scripture is referring to, the way in which you judge. How many know that when you put an expectation that they're always going to fail, what do you think people are likely to do? Fail. When you put a positive, hopeful expectation on people to succeed, you know what you're more likely to get? People that will succeed. You got to hope all things. You got to believe all things. You got to bear all things. You got to endure all things and create that upward spiral. And how amazing. This is, this is why this is so important. Number one is this. I, I know God wants you to be happy in your marriage. But let's even look big picture here. How awesome would it be for Christians to put on display what great relationships look like? Because the world is cynical. The world is in chaos and disarray when it comes to the way we look at relationships. It's, it's bad. And I'm telling you, what if the church became the light of the world? What if Christian marriages became the light of the world and the salt of the earth, a city that would be set on a hill and basically give off a glow and a light for all the world to see and even track towards? That's what I want us to become. I want us to have marriages that when the world looks, like, I need to do it like they're doing it because the way I'm doing it ain't working. And they lean into the things of God and they lean into faith and they lean into the scriptures. They lean into the truths of God so that they can find God in the midst of their marriage. I want that for you. I want that for the world around us. Amen.